Please be seated. Today's Old Scripture Testament is reading from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, which may be found by turning to page 11 in your pew Bibles. But first, let me call upon the Holy Spirit for guidance. Please bow your head. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Today's reading from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is one of the more seminal events in the Jewish and Christian faith. So please listen carefully. It is entitled, The Call of Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. May God bless this reading of his holy word to our understanding. Thank you, Doug. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 that Doug just read is one of the most important passages of all Scripture because it helps us see how God has chosen Abraham. And in this man Abraham, even though he's 75 years at the time, eventually God is going to give him a child through his wife Sarah, even though she was barren. And through this son Isaac, eventually would be born Jacob. And through Jacob, eventually the 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually the kingdom of Israel would come from Abraham. And of course, this idea that you will be blessed to be a blessing, we can find, is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For Jesus, as you read the gospel of Matthew chapter one, you'll see the genealogy of Jesus, and it begins with Abraham. Yes, we have all been blessed through Jesus Christ, and we have been blessed to be a blessing. So how are we blessing others today? How can we best serve the needy in our community today. Specifically, how can we best serve the homeless? According to news reports, there are 1,100, over 1,100 homeless in Amarillo. I'm sure you're like me. You've seen them all over town. If you spend much time in downtown, you'll see them regularly walking the streets. Or if you go to any major intersection, whether it be I-40 in Bell or I-40 in Washington or I-40 in Ross, regularly you'll see someone holding a sign asking for assistance, asking for help. You know, every week we have homeless come to our church seeking assistance. And on a pretty day like this, I like to walk uh, to a restaurant downtown to meet someone for a lunch appointment. I'll, I'll go ahead and walk. And inevitably, when I walk to a restaurant downtown, I will run into someone who is homeless, needing help. So how can we best serve them? What about the poor in general? How can we best serve the the poor within our community? Did you know that 17% of our community lives under the poverty line? 
Now, it's true that we have a pretty low unemployment rate, around 3 to 4% in Amarillo. It's one of the lowest in the state, but many people work at minimum wage, and so that's really not enough for them to raise their families with. And, and so they work very hard, but they still don't have enough food to eat. Did you know that over 60% of the children in our community, in Amarillo Independent School District, over 60% of the children in our schools today are on the free or reduced lunch program? Our kids go to school not only to learn, but ultimately they go to school to eat, to have breakfast, to have lunch. And we have a long weekend like this with a Labor Day holiday. Some of those kids aren't going to have food to eat. In fact, every time we have a snow day, kids will often go hungry. So what are we to do? How are we to best serve the needy within our community? To find out, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. It may be found on page 1056 of your pew Bible. But before I read God's word, let's call again upon his spirit to open our hearts and minds at the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired Matthew to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. We thank you, Lord, that he's written down the very words that were spoken by Jesus so many years ago. We pray, O Lord, that as we read these words, you might speak to our hearts, that we might be transformed. Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, listen to the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here in the reading of God's word, as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. When the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now some people read Matthew 25 and they, they try to say, well, this is like a parable. It's like a story that Jesus is telling. But this is not a parable. Jesus is telling us exactly how it's going to happen. You see, in Matthew chapter 24, after leaving the temple in Jerusalem on the very week that Jesus is going to be betrayed and ultimately crucified, right after they leave the temple, they go to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples, Jesus' followers, say, Jesus, tell us what the end of time it's going to be like. Tell us about what it's going to be like when you come again. So Jesus begins to tell them, and most importantly, he tells them that no one really knows the hour or the day when the Son of Man will return. And then he begins to tell them parables. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, we do have, verse 1, we do have a parable. It's the parable of the ten virgins. He begins by saying this in chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now the point of the parable of the ten uh, virgins, if you read the whole parable, is that uh, we need to be ready. Some women, some of the virgins were not ready for the bridegroom when he came, but we, as the people of God, need to be ready, knowing that God is coming back, that judgment day is coming. Then in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, Jesus tells yet another parable, this time the parable of the talents. Notice how it begins in verse 14. 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now we know the parable of the talents, right? He gives different talents to different men and the two with the most talents put their talents to work immediately but the one who only received one measly talent, well, he buries his talent in the ground and when the master returns, he's most upset with the, with the servant who, who did not use his talents and so it, it highlights the fact that, that the son of man when he returns, we need to be using our time and our talents and our treasures to the work of God's kingdom. Reminds me of that bumper sticker I saw many years ago that said, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. When Jesus comes back, I don't want to be watching football, right? (laughs) I want to be doing something for the work of God's kingdom. Yes, these are parables because, well, Jesus says, it will be like, chapter 25, verse 1, it will be like 10 virgins. Chapter 25, verse 14, it will be like a man going on a journey. But notice that our text begins with, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, it won't be like it. This is what it's, it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, we're going to be judged. But how are we going to be judged exactly? Are we going to be judged on our orthodoxy, on our, our, our right belief, our right understanding? Are we going to be judged on whether or not we can recite the Ten Commandments or whether or not we can recite the Apostles' Creed, which are important statements of our faith? Are we going to be judged on that? Not according to Jesus in Matthew 25. According to our scripture text this morning, we're not going to be questioned on our orthodoxy, which literally means right belief. We're ultimately going to be measured by our orthopraxy, which means right living, right action. Specifically, Jesus is going to want to know how did we treat the least of these within our community? How did we treat the hungry and the stranger? and the poor, the sick, the imprisoned. How did we treat the least of these? That's what Jesus is going to want to know. 
Now, as lifelong Presbyterians, I know that some of us are thinking right now, but I thought we were saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. I mean, isn't that what Paul writes about in Galatians that we studied last spring, that we're justified by faith, not by works of the law? Is Jesus somehow promoting a a works-based righteousness? I mean, if we look at, at the words that we find in, uh, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, Paul says very clearly, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Is Jesus in Matthew 25 saying that Paul is wrong? Well, if we were to take Matthew 25 and the sheeps and the goat, we took that out of its biblical context, we might think that. But if we read all of Matthew, we'll see that throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been emphasizing the importance of of having a relationship with him. That salvation is ultimately founded in recognizing him and having a, a relationship with him. We see this in Matthew, specifically Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, 32 to 33, where Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. If we acknowledge Jesus, then then he will acknowledge us, according to Matthew chapter 10. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, towards the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it very clear that ultimately our salvation is found in a relationship with him. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, we read these words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now notice in Matthew chapter seven, these people who are saying, Lord, Lord, they're really just paying lip service to Jesus. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and cast out demons in your name? They're doing miraculous religious acts. It's unbelievable what they're doing. They're they're prophesying and they're casting out demons. They seem to be doing all the right things, but they never really knew Jesus. It's the lack of a relationship with Jesus that ultimately condemns them, isn't it? Yes, as we read Matthew chapter 25 about the sheep and the goats, that final judgment day. We can see in light of all that Matthew has to say, all that Jesus has to say in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically in Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 10, we see that Matthew 25 is letting us know that if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you recognize who Jesus is, then we will naturally be people of grace and mercy. Let's look again at Matthew chapter 25, specifically, let's look again at at, uh, at verses 34 to 40. The king says to those sheep on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and, or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Notice that the, the sheep 
in Matthew chapter 25, they're not doing these good works so that Jesus might honor them. They don't even know that they're doing it for Jesus. They're just doing it out of gratitude for God's grace. Out of their relationship with Jesus, they're just naturally feeding those who are hungry or clothing those who are naked or visiting those who are sick or imprisoned or welcoming the stranger. It's a natural outflow of their relationship with God. It's a natural outflow of their reception of God's grace. I love the way Leon Morris, a New Testament scholar, talks about this verse uh, passage in Matthew 25. He says, the works we do are the evidence either of the grace of God at work in us or of our rejection of that grace. The works we do are the evidence either of the grace of God at work in us or of our rejection of that grace. As we humbly receive God's grace, as we realize all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on a cross and paid the price for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. As we recognize the salvation that comes through Christ alone and through his amazing grace, then we become people of grace. We begin to love our neighbors, ourselves, out of gratitude for how much God has shown his love for us. As James, the brother of Jesus, states in his epistle, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, what good is it, my brothers, if someone, he says he has faith, but he does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. True, authentic, saving faith that's guided by a relationship with Jesus leads to good works. In fact, the passage I read just a moment ago in Ephesians where where Paul makes it very clear that we're saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. We're, We're saved not by works of the law, but by what Christ has done. Paul goes on to point out that we're saved for good works so that we might do the work of the kingdom. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. Let's read that whole passage here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not yet your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're not saved by works of the law, but by faith through grace. For we are his workmanship, Paul writes, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Saving faith, an authentic relationship with Jesus, leads to good works. So how are we doing? We might have orthodoxy, but do we have orthopraxy, right living, right faith, that leads to good works, that points others to the unconditional, sacrificial love of Christ? Are we people of service? Do we naturally seek to put the needs of others before our own? Do we see a need and seek to meet that need? Because according to Jesus, James, and Paul, right faith, right belief, a personal relationship with Jesus should lead to right living, where we love our neighbor as ourselves, where we recognize that we've been blessed to be a blessing to others. It should lead us to care for the needs of others. So what is it that tends to prevent us from caring for the needs of others? 
1973, John Darley and C. Daniel Batson decided to do a social experiment at Princeton Theological Seminary, which is my old alma mater. They had a class of 40 seminary students, and they gave them a a survey to fill out, and they told them that they needed to go from one uh, building to another building or across campus and to give a a brief talk about the the Good Samaritan story. We all know the Good Samaritan story, right, that we find in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. A, A man is robbed and beaten, and a priest comes by, and he sees the bloodied man, and rather than helping the man because he doesn't want to be defiled for worship, he, he, he walks on the other side of the road, leaving the man abandoned there. Or there's a Levite who comes by who, who's a part of the priestly tribe of Israel and he sees the man and he walks by. But then there's a Samaritan which Jews in the first century viewed Samaritans as half-Jews, half-breeds. And he walks by but he sees the man and he cares for the man and he picks the man up and he puts him on his, on his donkey and he takes him into town and he, he cares for him and gives an innkeeper money to take care of the man's needs. I don't know that story, right? Well, these seminarians were told that they're going to have to go to another building across campus to tell about, give a talk, a brief talk about the Good Samaritan story. Well, the interesting part of this experiment was they told half of the class, you're in a real hurry. You don't have much time. You need to hurry on your way. They told the other half of the class, you got plenty of time, no rush, get there when you get there. Well, what they did is they planted an actor on the sidewalk in between the two buildings, and the actor was dressed up like a homeless man. And he was dressed up like a homeless man and he was disheveled and beaten and he was moaning and groaning. You could not ignore the man on the sidewalk. You had to see him. In fact, you had to walk around him to get to the next building. Guess what happened? These seminarians who were on the way to go and give a talk about the Good Samaritan, those who were told that they didn't have much time and I've been to Princeton Seminary. There's a lot of AAA type personalities. You've got type A, these are AAA. They want nothing but a good grade, Right? They're like, i got to get there in time or I'll, I'll get a B or maybe a C, who knows. And so they're, they're rushing to class. Only 10% of those who are in a hurry even recognized and offered help to that man. They were about to go give a talk about the Good Samaritan, about how the Good Samaritan took the time to minister to the man's needs. That was running through their mind, and yet they walked right by this man because they were too in too much of a hurry to help. However, those students who were told they had plenty of time. 60% of those students, I wish it had been much higher. I'm embarrassed that it wasn't higher as a graduate of that place. 60%, only 60%, but yet much more than 10%. 60% of those students helped the man who was acting like a homeless man. How often are we just in too much of a hurry to help those in need around us? You know, we can always say, gosh, I'm so busy. I just don't have a lot of time. If you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Jesus was, well, he was busy. I mean, Mark tells the story of Jesus' earthly ministry, and basically it's three years, and in three years, Jesus accomplished some amazing things. He was a very, very busy man, but he was never in a hurry, too much of a hurry to not be able to stop and help a person in need. Specifically in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, we read the, the powerful story of, of how Jesus had been told by a father that my daughter, my daughter, my young child, she's dying and she's on the point of death. Jesus, please come and heal her. I know you're the miracle worker. Please hurry. And so Jesus with the, with the disciples is on his way to go heal a young child. You would think that he was too much of a hurry to stop and help anyone else. But there's this woman with with a hemorrhage who's been bleeding for 12 years and all of her money has been spent to try and heal her, but none of the doctors have been able to heal her. And so in desperation, she says, if I can just touch Jesus' robe, then I'll be healed. 
So this woman fights the crowd and she touches Jesus' robe. Instantly she's healed. And what's most surprising about that story is that Jesus stops. Jesus stops and says, someone touched me. And Peter and James or John are like, Jesus, look around you, man. There's tons of people. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. He says, no, 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 I felt power leave me. And so he stops and he, he recognizes this woman who has been healed and trembling and humble. She comes before Jesus and then he offers this wonderful word of blessing. He takes the time to offer a word of blessing to this woman. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Are we ready for the holy interruptions that happen throughout our day? Are we simply too busy and too big of a hurry to stop and offer a word of blessing to others? Notice in our text in Matthew chapter 25, those who do the good things, they don't do it knowing that they're doing it to Jesus. They're not doing it so they can earn points in heaven. It's simply born out of a relationship. And also notice that those who do good things, Jesus doesn't say, I was poor and you gave me money. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. These sheep who do the right thing they meet very specific needs. They, they have enough of a relationship with the person who's in need to know exactly what it was, is they need and they take the time to minister to very specific needs. My training and my experience has taught me in ministry that the best thing we can do is offer to help someone with their specific needs. It's easy just to give them money but really the best thing we can do is to give them food so that they might have something to eat if that's what they need. Are we willing to take the time we need to, to address specific needs around, among the people who are around us? Are we willing to, to be sensitive to those specific needs? Last month, my wife and I were in uh, Lubbock, and we were at the Chipotle, which is across from Texas Tech, and we were having dinner, and the sun was setting, and so we decided to eat outside because it was a beautiful West Texas evening. And while we're having this meal, this man in my, in my peripheral vision says, hey, would you like to buy some light bulbs? Initially, I'm thinking, I'm about to go to Fort Davis, Texas. What do I need light bulbs for, right? And so <laughs> I'm like, what's that? And then I turn, I look at the man, and I could see that, well, well, he was dirty and disheveled and probably hadn't in the bathroom in a while, and his clothes were kind of torn. And I realized that what he really needed was, was food and help. So I said a, a brief prayer, and I said, God, do you want me to buy these light bulbs, which I don't need, or do you want me to buy him some food so that he can eat? In the quietness of that moment, I felt the Spirit telling me, feed me. And so I said, hey, I don't need any light bulbs, but I tell you what, can I buy you a burrito? Would that be all right? Would you like some food? And he said, oh, that'd be great. And then all of a sudden, the manager from Chipotle comes up and he says, sir, I'm sorry, is this man bothering you? I said, no, no, he's not bothering me. I'm going to buy this man, my friend here, a burrito. He said, are you sure, sir, he's not bothering you? I said, no, he's not bothering me. I'm going to buy him a burrito. Now, do you want chicken or steak? He said, I like steak. I said, all right, I'm going to go get you some. So I went and got the burrito and the manager was so nice as I tried to pay for the burrito, he wouldn't let me pay for it. He said, no, we've got this. I said, well, thank you. God bless you. And he said, hi, you too. So I gave the burrito to the, the man. I said, tell me, well, what's your name? He said, my name's David. I said, David, do you mind if I have a prayer for you? Mind if I pray for you? David said, that'd be great. So I put my hand on David's shoulder and I said, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your amazing love. I pray, oh God, that you would surround David with your love, that you would help him see just how much you love him. 
For you demonstrated your great love toward all of us that while we were sinners, Lord Jesus, you were willing to die on the cross for our sins. And then on the third day, you rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. And we can have the assurance of eternal life if we simply believe in you. Oh God, I pray your blessing upon David. I pray that you would guide him and lead him and watch over him. I pray that you'd bless his food and the nourishment of his body and him to your service. Your son's name I pray, amen. I looked at David and I said, God bless you, David. He said, thank you. God bless you. What are we to do to help minister to the homeless? Well, the truth is each person's needs are very different. But I can tell you the first thing you need to do every time is you need to pray. You need to pray that God might give you insight on how you might minister to that specific need and and take the time to listen to what that need might be. This morning, I want Will Esler, our urban director, to share with you briefly what are the most effective ways to help the homeless and the poor in our city today. Will? Thank you. Well, the, uh, the first two years that I was working here at First Pres, I was also working at a, a homeless shelter in town, and uh, so I had the, the privilege to get to spend a lot of time around homeless families, homeless men and women. Um, it was really a great time. Uh, got to learn a lot from them. Um, but uh, I would ask them every now and then, I'd, I'd, I'd have them together, and I, I would ask them, I'd say, what do you need? I mean, you know, and you know about the big three, you know, food, shelter, and clothing. Um, those are the things you hear about a lot. Um, and I, I will tell you, Sunday is the hardest day uh, for someone who's homeless to find food. A lot of the places that feed aren't doing that on Sunday. Um, and so you can say, hey, meet me there. I, I don't give anyone a ride since the last guy I gave a ride to was talking about shooting somebody that tried to mug him. Um, I haven't given anyone a ride since then, but you can say, meet me there. And uh, I like to trade. I like to trade for stories. You know, hey, you know what? You've got something of value. You have stories. And I love stories. So let's meet there. I'll share lunch with you, uh, and you share a story. Um, so that's something I like to do. Uh, you can do that with clothes, too. Winter is the hardest time, uh, because winter it's hard to find uh, coats, gloves, socks, you know, shoes, things like that to keep you warm. Uh, and then shelter. We have two, two shelters in town that, that both serve uh, people who are homeless. Um, but as I would ask them, what do you need? I mean, they know I already know about the big three. And so the main thing that they would say is they would say, we want you, when you pull up to a stoplight or a stop sign or wherever you are and you see us, if you're walking down the street and, and we're there, we want you to see us. We want you to acknowledge us. To just wave. Just don't, don't pretend we're not there. Don't let us be invisible. Because when you are experiencing homelessness, you also feel invisible. So they said, just, just see us there. Even if it's just to say, hey, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't have anything for you, but God bless you or... You know, just to say hi, anything like that is fine. Um, but they just want, they want to be seen, they want to be heard. In fact, if you're interested um, in, in being around some people who are homeless and uh, you want to you wanna know more, I am going to invite you all uh, to breakfast at a place called The Park. That's a Panhandle Adult Rebuilding Center. They uh, give people who are homeless a place to go during the day, work on art, work on writing, work on all these things. Tuesday morning... 8.30. I will see you there. We'll have breakfast. Great. Thank you, Will. And also, as Will's pointed out in the past, you know, sending someone to the Salvation Army to help meet some of those specific needs is a great uh, suggestion. It's just north of us here in downtown. Jesus was very busy, but he was never so busy that he didn't have time for those who were in need. 
The next time someone approaches you, I would encourage you to take a moment just to pray that God might guide you and lead you and how you might best minister to that need so that we could be Christ's hands and feet. And as John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian Church, once wrote when commenting on this text in Matthew 25, whenever we are reluctant to assist the poor, let us place before our eyes the Son of God to whom it would be base sacrilege to refuse anything. As Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be your hands and feet, to point people to you today. I pray that by your spirit, you would guide us and lead us, and that we would never be so busy in such a hurry that we couldn't take time to minister to those we come across. I pray, Lord, that you'd help mobilize this church to be your hands and feet here on this earth so that others may see our good deeds and give praises to you, our Father who's in heaven. Pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said,